in in First uh, Samuel, um, continuing on from where we left off last week, First Samuel, uh, chapter twenty-nine, and uh, today we're going to look at the topic of control. So, um, I hope I hope you find it of some relevance to you. So, let's start off in First Samuel, chapter twenty-nine. <clears throat> you may remember last week we were looking at. Uh, Saul and the witch of Endor. Uh, the Philistines had were coming again to attack Israel. The old nemesis of Israel, Philistine, they were coming to attack Israel again, and Saul was um, Saul was, you know, in, in a quandary, obviously because um, the Philistines were were about to attack Israel, and he went and he, he and he went to consult the Lord, but the Lord wasn't uh, answering him, and the prophets weren't answering him, and so he went to the witch of, of, of Endor um, to, to seek counsel. And of course, Samuel uh, came up and he said that uh, Saul was going to die the next day because of he, he didn't obey God, he didn't um, extinguish uh, the Amalekites, etc. Um, <clears throat> meantime, David had been with the Philistines, had gone to the Philistines in, in a sort of uh, crisis of fate moment when he thought that, that he was going to be killed and Saul was going to get him. He went over to the Philistines to, to essentially to hide. Um, he effectively defected uh, to the Philistines. So that's, that's where uh, we take up this story this morning. Um, so go with me, if you will, to uh, 1 Samuel uh, chapter 29. Starting in verse 1. Then the Philistines gathered together all their armies at Aphek, and the Israelites encamped by a fountain which is in Jezreel. And the lords of the Philistines passed in review by hundreds and by thousands. But David and his men passed in review at the rear with Achish. Then the princes of the Philistines said, What are these Hebrews doing here? And Achish said to the princes of the Philistines, Is this not David, the servant of Saul, king of Israel, who has been with me these days or these years? And to this day I have found no fault in him since he defected to me. But the princes of the Philistines were angry with him. So the princes of the Philistines said to him, Make this fellow return, that he may go back to the place which you appointed for him, and do not let him come down with us to battle, lest in the battle he become our adversary. For with what, could we reconcile himself, with what could he reconcile himself to his master, if not with the heads of these men? Is this not David, of whom they sang to one another in dances, saying, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands? Then Achish called David and said to him, Surely as the Lord lives, you have been upright, and you're going out and you're coming in with me, In the army is good in my sight. For to this day I have not found evil in you since the day of your coming to me. Nevertheless, the lords do not favor you. Therefore return now and go in peace, that you may not displease the lords of the Philistines. So David said to Achish, But what have I done? And to this day... What have you found in your servant as long as I have been with you, that I may go, not go and fight against the enemies of my lord the king? Then Achish answered and said to David, 
I know that you are as good in my sight as an angel of God. Nevertheless, the princes of the Philistines have said, he shall not go up with us to the battle. Now, therefore, rise early in the morning with your master's servants who have come with you. And as soon as you're up early in the morning and have light, depart. So David and his men rose early to depart in the morning to return to the land of the Philistines. And the Philistines went up to Jezreel. Amen. Father, we just thank you for this word. Um, Lord, we pray that it will be relevant again uh, to our lives today. Father, I pray you will speak um, just through me, Lord, um, or in spite of me, Lord, whatever you want to say to each person here, Lord. If there's a specific word for somebody, Lord, um, that it will, it will be spoken to them, Lord, and that the, um, Lord, the birds of the air uh, will not uh, take it away, Father. In Jesus' name, for your glory. Amen. Amen. So today, as I said, I wanted to talk about a little bit about control. And when we think of the word control, it, it's in itself, it's, it's almost a neutral word, uh, but it can be a good thing um, or it can, be, it can be a bad thing. And, and depending on your disposition, um, whether you're a free spirit or whether you're someone who likes things very ordered, you'll have a different view. When you hear the word control, what, what do you think of? Um, do you think of it in a positive way or in a negative way? Today we're going to look at, at both aspects of control in this story of David. And initially we're going to look at circumstances, the old phrase circumstances beyond our control. Normally when we hear that expression, circumstances beyond our control, it's usually followed by bad news or usually comes after bad news. You know, for example, we had to, you know, increase the electricity charges due to circumstances beyond our control. It's a way of, if you like, of putting the blame elsewhere. But it's usually bad news. And certainly circumstances beyond our control tend to be um, neg negative things, don't they? Um, because there's nothing we can do about them. Funnily enough, though, they often tend to be the the very things we try to control, the things that we can't control are the things that we try to control most. Um, but we'll get back to that in a minute. But we see here David, he is definitely in a situation where the circumstances are beyond his control. As I said before, he had fled to the Philistines, effectively defected to the enemies of Israel because he had stopped trusting God to look after him in the land of Judah. So he's been pursued by, by Saul in the land of Judah. And even though God had demonstrated his faithfulness to David, not just in the slaying of, of Goliath, not just in the slaying of, of 10,000, as, as the song goes by, but in, in, in delivering Saul effectively into his hand. And David didn't twice. He didn't, uh, he didn't kill Saul when he could have. He even uh, put Saul and his armies to sleep so David could sneak in into the cave where Saul was. And so God was demonstrating his faithfulness to David, but he had a crisis of faith, okay? And we, we know that song, Great is thy faithfulness, morning by morning, new mercies I see. And yet we still doubt God, don't we? We don't hold on to those promises. 
uh, that, that God, is, as Audrey said, the numerous promises that God has given us, for whatever reason, we don't hold on to them. And certainly David, we can see in the Psalms that he was, he was well acquainted with, with, with the word of God. He's well acquainted uh, with, with worshiping God, and yet he still had a crisis of faith. And as I said before, a couple of weeks ago, one of the reasons that we see this, David, warts and all, is to display to us the reality of our, our Christian walk that we, we do tend to, to fail every now and then. So David had, he had that crisis of faith, and he went, went to the Philistines. Probably wasn't his best career move, in a sense. Um, and Saul, in the meantime, had um, gone to the witch of Endor, and he, you know, he saw the Philistines there, and, and he said, what, what am I going to do? And Samuel didn't give him great news. Samuel spoke to him from beyond the grave, so to speak, and he said, listen, tomorrow you're, you're, you're going to die, you and your sons. They're gonna, you're going to be joining me here, wherever that place is, um, tomorrow, because you're gonna, all going to die at the hands of the Philistines. So this is the context in which this chapter here starts. The Philistines are lining up to go into battle effectively to defeat Israel and ultimately to kill Saul and his, his sons. And David is in a very um, tricky predicament. He's on a sticky wicket, so to speak, because he has been faithful to Achish, one of the kings or one of the princes of, of uh, the Philistines. He's been faithful to him. Um, he's gone out with him. He's been his, his guardian. We, we learn in, in chapter 28 he was a, his guardian, basically his, his bodyguard, essentially. And he had, uh, Akish had found absolutely no fault in him. And Akish was unaware of these, these uh, sideline missions that, that Saul was going on down in, 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 in the deep south where he was slaying the enemies of the Amalekites and the like um, when, when Akish wasn't aware. So he had a double life. Saul, or David had a double life, and I think we can definitely probably relate to that at, at different times, um, you know, where we're, we're, we're showing a, f- a certain face maybe to the world and then, and then a different face to the, to the church. But albeit, as it may, that, that was the situation he was in. He was um, being faithful largely to, to Akish, the king, who had taken him in under his wing, essentially. And yet, he had not touched Saul, God's anointed, or certainly his anointed until, until David was anointed, and, and David had recognized Saul as his anointed, and he would not touch him because he recognized that God would, would raise up and God would bring down, and it wasn't for him to do anything about it. And now he was in a position where the army of the Philistines were going to attack uh, the, the, the Israelites. And so he had a, a crisis he was in a crisis of loyalty. So what do you do in that situation? If he, if he, if he decides to go with the, the Israelites, well then the, the Philistines won't be too happy with him. Or if he, if he decides to go with the Philistines, well, it, well he's killing his own people. And then particularly he's killing Saul, the man uh, that he had refused to touch, to lay a finger on um, up, on, up until that point. And potentially he was also going to jeopardize his future kingship. Obviously, if he kinged or he was complicit in, in the killing of King Saul, that wouldn't look very good 
uh, for his, his future rule over Israel and for the nation as a whole. It wouldn't be very unifying if, if David, the king of Judah, or from Judah, had taken on uh, Saul the Benjamite. So there was, a lot, there was a lot to play here at this point in time. So what does he do? Well, he doesn't really do anything. God comes in and God intervenes through the princes of the Philistines. It's the princes of the Philistines come and they say, no, we don't want David. They didn't, they didn't say we want to kill him. He just said, we want him to go back to the land that you had sent him to, which was a place called Ziklag, which was in the south where David and his family were. And so, luckily, I'm, I don't mean that word in, 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 the, in the strictest sense of the world, but fortunately for, for, for David, the Philistines, uh, the, the leaders of the Philistines had said, we don't want David here. Okay? And so, when we talk about control, what the first thing we see here is in a situation where David in a situation where the circumstances are outside of his control. There is no, no matter what he does, he's going to lose. If he sides with the Philistines, if he sides with the Israelites, he is going to lose. He's going to get found out one way or the other. But God intervenes via circumstances, i.e. the Philistine princes coming and saying, we don't want them here. And he sends them, he's sent back to um, Ziklag. And we, it's, it's such a contrast to the previous chapter where Saul, Saul is in a quandary as well. And he kind of goes outside of God, even though God, he should get the message because God isn't speaking to him. He still wants to be able to sort of determine what's going to happen in the future by consulting the witch of Endor. But in this situation, God is with David. Because David, ultimately, even though he had that crisis of fate, David trusts in God. And we see that throughout the Psalms. Go, go with me, or don't even go with me. I'm going to read from Psalm 37. Psalm 37, verse 5. David writes, Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him and he shall bring it to pass. And so, this shows us that in situations, potentially of our own making, so sometimes circumstances beyond our control were previously in our control. In other words, we make, we make a mistake, we do something wrong. So David went to the Philistines when he probably shouldn't have. And that created a chain of events that led him where he was caught between the Philistines and the Israelites and he, he didn't know what to do. But now at this stage, it was beyond his control. So he made a, a decision that was within his control, but now it was beyond his control. And I'm sure we can relate to that. We, we, we make a mistake about something, we do something wrong, and now we're, we're in a mess. And it's beyond our control. But what God is saying is here, I am in control. I am in control of the circumstances that are outside of your control. I am in control. Because he's God. Of course he's in control. He is God. He gives us freedom to make choices, absolutely, like David is. But ultimately, God is in control. And as I said before, it's so often that we, 
we try to be like Saul in a sense, try to control those circumstances that have now gone outside of our control. It's often the ones that, when we see there's a problem, and, and uh, the song about the sparrow uh, really speaks, of, we, we start worrying, we start having to do something to try and bring it back, to rectify the situation, when a lot of the time we only make things worse. Because a lot of the time, those situations or circumstances out of control, outside of our control, involve other people. And it's not easy to control other people. As much as we, we sometimes we would like to do it, we don't like it happening to us, we like to do it. Uh, it could be in a work situation, family situation, spouse situation. <laughs> we would like the other person to be like this, right? Or we've done something to them which makes them in a certain way and we want to try and change that. Uh, but we sometimes we only make it worse by trying to control them. Okay, so it can be in any situation that we see things spiraling out of control and we go, let's, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fix it. Now there are situations obviously when we need to be able to you know, take corrective action. But there's other situations where we, we sort of uh, hit ourselves over the head trying to do things that you know, we can't, genuinely can't control. And sometimes it's out of guilt because we did something wrong in the past that has led to this. Right? But the bottom line is that God is in control. And God was in control of David's life. And David, despite that crisis of faith, was ultimately someone who trusted God and who loved God. Okay? And God was uh, looking after him, and he was directing his path. And so, just want to give you a life. My, my daughter, she watches YouTube a lot. Try to let, not let her watch too much of it, but she watches it a lot. But one thing she loves watching is life hacks. So if any of you are familiar with a life hack, it's, it's, a, it's a quick solution to a problem, right? And it's rare, it's rare that you get, you know, someone said there's, to every complex problem there is a simple solution, and it's wrong. <laughs> but it's, there are certain life hacks that they come, they do them on YouTube, and she was showing me one about putting two pencils together and, and tying them with a string, I think it was. So you could, say you, you, you're in school and you were given 100 lines to do. If you had two pencils, you could do two of them at once. <laughs> and so there are certain things, uh, what we call life hacks, you know, quick solutions to, to complex problems. And, and the solution here, the life hack, is to trust in the Lord with all your heart. In, lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. So essentially, you don't really need to do much other than to acknowledge him in all your ways, trust in him, and he will direct your paths. And that was written by Solomon, who of course was the son of David. And so, sometimes things, we've got big problems in our lives, <clears throat> and we're trying to sort them out, and we can't. We need to trust God rather than make things worse. Sometimes we can make things worse by trying to control a situation that God is in control in and that, that we are not in control of. And it's interesting, so he sends David to, back to Ziklag, Hakish, um, on, on the, at the behest of, the, of the, the princes of the Philistines. He goes back to Ziklag and he's told, go back early in the morning, rise up early in the morning and go back. And David does that and it so happens, but when he gets back, he finds that the Amalekites have taken 
Um, not, not this is a bit of a spoiler alert for probably next week, but the Amalekites had taken his family and they've raided the, the camp there. But because they went back early that morning, they were able to catch up with the Amalekites and retrieve his save his family and, and possessions. So God was working in all of this uh, for David's good. So that's one aspect of control. So that we, we like to control things that we can't control. We often try to control things that we can't control. And that's not a good aspect of control. We, we shouldn't be controlling other people, except maybe our kids. <laughs> we shouldn't really be controlling other people, but it's, sometimes we just want to make things right. We want, to, want this perfect world. And because we're doing that, it's because we're not trusting God, basically. We're not trusting God. Okay? Control is, is um, it's, what's the word? It's a sign that we're not trusting God. But there is, the Bible does talk about a good type of control as well. And it's in Galatians, uh, the fruits of the Spirit, Galatians chapter 5. One of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control. Okay? So the other people control, not good. Self-control, that's, that's a good thing, right? And we can see here with David, even though, you know, he had that crisis of faith, etc., he lived a life um, in front of Akish, in, 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 in uh, the king, that was of self-control. And particularly, he seemed to control his tongue. Okay? He didn't spill the beans about, you know, uh, oh, well, well, I'm actually an Israelite, and, you know, um, he didn't say anything that was, that was going to get him into trouble. Okay? Um, but, but more generally, his witness before Akish was, was such that he could find no fault in him. Okay? So he, he lived a godly life, even though he was in the midst of the Philistines, in the midst of someone who did not fear God. Even as Achish talked to, to David, um, he refers to the Lord. He refers to Jehovah. Then Achish called David and said to him, Surely as the Lord lives, you have been upright and you're going out and you're coming in with me, and the army is good in my sight. For in this day I have not found any evil, evil in you, since the day of your coming to me. So David, despite living with, with the Philistines, he showed self-control. Okay, and so, so much so that Achish could find nothing wrong in him. So that's a good type of control to have, is self-control. Okay? It is a fruit of the Spirit. And, you know, I think especially in this day, we're in the world, we're mixing with the world. We need to show self-control. We need to know when to speak and when to shut up. There's a lot going on in the world at the moment. We know that, especially with the, the virus, the coronavirus, and all that sort of stuff. There's a lot of opinions going around. And it's easy to get embroiled in these conversations about politics or coronavirus or whatever. Okay? Jesus says we need to be innocent, cunning as serpents, but innocent as doves. We just we need to be careful in our witness in the world 
what we say and what we don't say, just like David was with the Philistines. And more generally, we need to exercise self-control. And in, in James, uh, we find in James chapter 3, we find the hardest instrument of our body to, to control is, of course, the tongue. The tongue is afar, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set amongst our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no man can tame the tongue. It is unruly, an unruly evil full of deadly poison. I forgot to mention this morning that this sermon is actually, it's a sermon to me. It's not a sermon to you, but you're welcome to listen in um, on YouTube or, or live in person. This is a sermon to me because, you know, God has really been speaking to me about this. James, when he talks about the tongue, he gives no solution in that passage to how to tame the tongue. He just says, listen, it's, it's so hard to tame. It's impossible to tame it. And yet, David seems to have been able to uh, put a guard over his, his mouth uh, when he was with the Philistines. He was with them for over a year, at least, six, at least 16 months, David was, was with them, and he was able to put a guard over his mouth. So we don't want to control other people, try and control circumstances out of, outside of our control. We do want to try and control ourselves. That's what the scripture says self-control and particularly our tongue particularly when we're in in uh, the presence of others the problem of course the problem of course is <laughs> that it's uh, it's not easy to do it's actually very difficult okay it's very difficult and um, <clears throat> so we have this life hack, you know, trust in the Lord. And that's great. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. That's brilliant. But as I said, to every complex problem, there is a simple solution and it is wrong. If you just say that, trust in the Lord, yeah, that's no problem, I'll do that. We, but we don't. That's the problem, we don't. And that's probably why the scripture emphasizes it so much. Because we need to, to keep working on it. We need to keep working on it. So what solution do we have? Well, I have a life skill, not a life hack, a life skill. Uh, recently, uh, the, the, the head of marketing in our house has introduced uh, life skills to replace chores for, for children <laughs> in, in, in our family. And there is a life skill that hopefully now we look at which will help us in actually realizing that self-control and ultimately allow us to trust in God to give him control where we can't control things, okay? So it's easy to talk about it. Um, it can be hard to implement it. I don't know if you ever got the train in the morning and uh, you'd be waiting at the platform, have to get in for work, and you'll hear over, over the, the, the tannoy, um, 
due to uh, operational um, failure, uh, the train will be delayed by approximately uh, 45 minutes. And um, everyone was, oh, you know, platform. He, the driver stepped it in again. That's, that's usually what operational failure means. But we have that, don't we? We have that operational failure. We have to plan, the schedule. Yeah, this is what I'm going to do. And then we, when it comes into practice, we kind of metaphorically or literally sleep it out. So I just want to draw your attention to the last couple of verses here in 1 Samuel 29. 1st 10 and 11. Now therefore, this is actually speaking to, to David, rise early in the morning with your master servants who have come with you, and as soon as you're up early in the morning and have light, depart. So David and his men rose early to depart in the morning to return to the land of the Philistines, and the Philistines went to Jezreel. Now there's a phrase there that appears three times. I don't know if you can spot it. Rise early in the morning. And I really believe this. I know God was speaking this to me. Um, and it's, it's probably not the best exegesis of this passage. But I believe God was speaking to me. And hopefully he's speaking to you as well about this. Three times it mentions rising early in the morning. Key, a key for us to have self-control, for us to trust in God, to give him control, is for us to rise early in the morning. There are many biblical uh, examples of this, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. David himself says, in the morning, my prayer comes before you. My voice you shall hear in the morning. In the morning, I will direct it to you and look up. We have so many examples um, of Moses when he went to Pharaoh. He rose up early in the morning. When he went up to Mount Sinai, he rose up early in the morning. Abraham, when he went to offer, offer the sacrifice uh, of Isaac to God, it was early in the morning. Job, he would rise up early in the morning to offer a sacrifice to God. Joshua, when they, was cross, they were crossing the Jordan, early in the morning, he rose up. When they went um, to defeat uh, to, to go around the walls of Jericho early in the morning, they rose up. When they went to defeat Ai, Joshua and the army rose up early in the morning. <clears throat> and I think Joshua is a particularly good example because he was, he was someone who spent time with God. And of course, Jesus himself. Um, if you turn with me to Mark. Chapter 1, verse 35. Mark 1, verse 35. Now in the morning, 
Having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And when they found him, they said to him, everyone is looking for you. But he said to them, let us go into the next towns that I may preach there also, because for this purpose I have also come forth. So Jesus himself, the Son of God, needed to get away early in the morning to pray. And it was interesting that Simon uh, comes to him and he says, everybody is looking for you. He's a busy day ahead of him. He needs to, to pray early in the morning uh, to get direction from God. And he was going then to preaching throughout Galilee and casting out demons. He needed his power from God. Jesus himself needed early in the morning. There's a, there's a great um, passage in Isaiah <clears throat> chapter 50. While it is the prophet Isaiah speaking, it is essentially a messianic passage. It's, it's essentially um, a passage about Jesus himself. Isaiah chapter 50 verse 4. The Lord has given me the tongue of the learned that I should know how to speak. A word in season to him who is weary. He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to hear as the, as the, as the learned. The Lord God has opened my ear. And so we see here not just that it's a, just a nice time to have, but God is giving the prophet Isaiah and if you go on, you'll see parallels with Jesus. The words to speak, the tongue, the tongue that we talked about. How can we tame that tongue? It's very hard to do it in the instant. Someone comes to you and you just, the flesh comes out straight away. But if we spend time with the Lord in the morning, our heart is more prepared and our tongue, hopefully, is more obedient uh, to, to God. In Romans 11, it talks about if the root is holy, the whole branch or the whole, the whole tree is, is, is holy. The root, if the root is holy. Now, now Paul was talking about uh, the context of the Jews and, and the Christians being grafted onto them. But there's a principle there. Whatever the root is, that's the rest comes out. And whatever we start our day with, that's, if you like, the root of the day. That is the root of the day. Um, it's interesting. There's, um, there's several reasons why we should um, seek God early in the morning. And one of them is in Proverbs eight seventeen, where God says, I love them that love me, and those that seek me early shall find me. Those that seek me early shall find me. So it's at the beginning of the day. And it makes a lot of sense, obviously, doesn't it? 
before uh, we, our minds get clouded with everything, before circumstances outside of our control take over the day, we have time alone with God and, and, and with Jesus. We are giving him the first fruits of the day. So self-control, the scripture says it is what? It's a fruit of the spirit. It's a fruit of the spirit. So what is the root of self-control? It is having the spirit of God in our lives. It's an outworking. It's not something when you can try and, and do a bit of self-control, but it, it probably only lasts so long. But if you really want self-control, you need the spirit of God to bring that fruit out from the root. <clears throat> Jesus says, a passage that we've, we've touched on before, especially in our Connect, in, in John chapter 15. I am the vine, you are the branches, he who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. I know myself, and it's, I think there was a book called It's So Busy, I, you know, I haven't got time to pray, or So Busy, I have to get time to pray. But how can we do anything? We think we have so much to do. We have so much to do that we haven't got time to pray. How can we do anything except that we abide in the vine, except that we abide in Jesus? Then we will bear fruit, much fruit, and that fruit will include self-control. On a very practical level, how do we do that? Because let's face it, it's probably the hardest thing to do is to get up early in the morning to pray. Isn't it? We have to essentially make preemptive strikes. We know it's a struggle to get up early in the morning to pray. So, yeah, absolutely, have your alarm clock far away if, 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 you, know, if you can, if, if, if uh, the other half in particular is, is happy with that. But we probably need to get to bed earlier. Okay, there's a certain amount of discipline we can actually do if we, if we decide, okay, this is important, I'm going to get to bed earlier. Or I'm not going to watch those devices, and I'm talking to me, I'm not going to watch those devices after X o'clock, 8 o'clock or 7 o'clock, or whatever it is that causes our, our brain to, to stay awake during the night and give us a bad night's sleep. So there are practical things we can do. It is so important that we do it. It is so important. Any of the great spiritual giants of, of, of the Christian era, they all were getting up early in the morning. All getting up early in the morning because they knew how important it was. If we want to advance God's kingdom, if we want to see revival in our families, in our communities, in this country, etc., it starts early in the morning, rising early in the morning. And God promises that we will find him early in the morning. We will find him. So, if we want self-control, if we want to know how to trust God, if we want to tame our tongue, this is the life skill uh, that, we, that we need. I'm just going to finish with one verse, again from David, it's Psalm 143, verse 8. 
Cause me to hear your loving kindness in the morning. For in you I do trust. For in you I do trust. Cause me to know, to know the way in which I should walk. For I lift up my soul to you. Amen. Father, we thank you. Um, we thank you for uh, your word again, Lord. Lord, we know we are so deficient. Lord, I am so deficient in so much, Lord, of what is just spoken about, Lord. But I do believe that you want to bring us back uh, to the first love, to our first love. You do want to feed us fresh manna. Lord, you want to build us up. And Lord, your scripture says, Lord, that... Um, you do not let us be tempted beyond what we can endure, but you provide a way out. We thank you that you did that with David, Lord, and uh, you can do that with us, Lord. I pray for anyone now who is in a situation, they find themselves in circumstance beyond their control, Lord, that you will give them um, the assurance, Lord, now that you are with them, that you are actually the God who is in control of that circumstance. Lord, for each of us, Lord, I pray you will, you will put in our hearts uh, the desire um, to seek you early, Lord. To seek you early in the morning, Lord. And give us uh, the discipline to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 amen.